Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. One and all, welcome to our evening service. It's a delight to welcome everybody here this evening, and we're so grateful for everybody's presence here in our activity center, but also online if you're worshiping with us at home tonight. What a delight it is to welcome you into this worship service as well. I remind everybody that there are bulletins, of course, on the table as you came in. If you're worshiping here, there's a bulletin online for you. If you've been watching online, you can see uh, a place to download the bulletin, to join in with us, and to sing the songs with us, and to hear all the music, and to, uh, to enjoy this worship service as well. So we are grateful for everybody's presence, and certainly hope that everybody would be blessed by this worship service this evening. We do want to also invite you to sign the friendship pads, and that might be the QR code in your bulletin. It might be the um, friendship pads that are over there, the yellow pads that are on the table as you're coming into the AC, if you're worshiping with us here. There's an online friendship pad as well, and we invite everybody to sign that and to join in and uh, just mark your presence with us. It's great to know who's worshiping with us at home. It's always good to have a record of people who are here. We do uh, love seeing our church members uh, continue to return to uh, our time together worshiping, and we're grateful for everybody's presence. Let me just uh, remind you of one or two things for our uh, evening worship announcements before we start our worship service. Um, this morning, we're so grateful to have a rose on the baptismal font in honor of the Gooden family, and in particular of Lila Marie Gooden. Uh, she was born uh, very recently. Uh, to uh, Jennifer and Michael Gooden, and the Gooden family uh, joined with uh, two children pre-COVID, right before COVID hit, and now they have four children, and so um, it's been a busy 15 months for them. So we're so grateful for that whole family and for their membership and for the birth of little Lila Marie, and we want you to pray for Jennifer and Michael, her parents, pray for Evelyn Gray and Rosalie as well and uh, just celebrate with them another birth into their family. Um, I think that's all for our announcements, except to say one more word of gratitude to everybody who participated in VBS. There was a lot of good work that went on behind the scenes. There was a lot of hard effort, a lot of fun, kids running around. Um, only saw a few tears, which is a success. That was mostly smiles and mostly joy, and so we're grateful for that. So thank you to everybody who volunteered, who provided supplies going back weeks before VBS, everybody who taught, everybody who brought snacks, everybody who was involved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was a really great week that we had here at VBS this week. Please join me in prayer as we start our worship service. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this summer night, and we know that the heat has come, the heat of summer. And so you have provided for us on this evening, Lord, a place to come inside and a place to gather and just to cool off in your soothing presence. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord. We thank you for each word of each song. We thank you for the scriptures that we'll read. We know, Holy Spirit, that you will be leading us and guiding us individually and collectively. And so we pray for you to come and to inspire us now as we begin this time of worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We invite you to stand as we sing our first song, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
It was pointed out to me just a few minutes ago that the scripture, the New Testament lesson that's not in, the New Testament lesson that's in the bulletin is not what I'm preaching from. So I thought during that song, I thought this could be a great moment for the Holy Spirit. Should I preach on the text that I've never read and then ready for this and just let the Spirit flow through me and preach extemporaneously on the scripture that I haven't looked at? Even yet, you think that would be a test of the Spirit? Okay, all right. It would be something. It would be something. I happen to believe that the Holy Spirit is deeply involved in the pastor's study. So that when you're preparing and praying and looking over a text, that the Holy Spirit is just as involved then as it would be if I tried to go extemporaneously. So why don't we go with... uh, Why don't we go with what I've prepared this time? We could play like preacher's roulette sometime and just pull a scripture out of the hat and say, go for it. Who's preaching next week? I tell you what, let's do it in two weeks (laughs) when I'm not here. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, do rain down on us and speak to us in what we read and in what We say and what we hear, Lord, fill us with your love and fill us with your inspiration as we look at these readings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I do want to read these two texts to you, and the first one's a little bit long, but it's coming from 1 Samuel, and we're going back to 1 Samuel this week. We're in the sermon series called God at Work, and we're looking at all the ways in which God is at work in our world and in our lives And today we're going to see that God is at work in unexpected ways because God works through people that we don't expect and that God works through people that sometimes we might not choose and that God is at work. So let's read these from 1 Samuel 16. This is the story of of David's anointment as king and that God chose him over his uh, larger, older, stronger, bigger brothers. So 1 Samuel 16 Starting in verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one whom I show you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Yes, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. 
They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said then to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, the youngest remains out. He is out keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send for him. We will not sit down until he comes. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord says, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Our second scripture lesson is from 2 Corinthians, but it's chapter 5. Not verse 1, chapter 5, 16, it says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. See, the old has passed. Everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we now are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want us to think about how small and how young and how easy it was to pass over David by looking at him and thinking, oh, he's not the one. I want us to do it by delving in a little bit, if you'll indulge me, into my own childhood and a few memories from childhood, and especially thinking about how small and how uh, last in line David was. I want to think about first my own family growing up. And of course, in my house, I've told people many times before, there were seven of us my dad and my two brothers and stepmom and two stepsisters. And if that weren't enough, we also had for a several year stretch in a row, we had six pets, four dogs and two cats, all there in the Jones Casa. The dogs were Princess and Sunshine, who were this mother-daughter pair. And there was a slim majority of lab in them and then a lot of something else. I don't know what else was in them. Two more females, Tar who was kind of a miniature collie, and then Ladybug, who was this beautiful mess, this shaggy mess of a kind of beagle and then a lot of other things as well, many possibilities of breeds in Ladybug. And, of course, uh, two cats. There was Tiger, which is a very original name for a cat, and then Barrington, which was a little bit like Barrington Bear. Remember those stories at all? So I have a guess to make, and I'm pretty sure it's correct in saying that I imagine that more of the household income was spent at the veterinarian than the pediatrician when we were growing up because there was only five kids, but there were six pets. And it seems like we were going to the vet all the time. I remember this great reaction that was so different. I can still picture this moment in my mind when we learned that our dog, Princess, 
was no princess and that she, despite being locked up in the palace almost all the time with her female mates, that somehow princess had escaped and had caught the eye of a prince of a dubious pedigree down the street, and we learned that princess was going to deliver a royal family. So I can remember my parents' reaction. The kids were like, puppies, oh great! And my parents were thinking, puppies, oh great. So my dad did, he built this little wooden box and put it in the side workroom in our house and put little sawdust wood chips down there and a cushion for princess to be treated royally as we watched the miracle of nature unfolding in our midst. Now what I really remember about this whole episode was this. There was a runt in the litter. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does. She produced six or seven puppies. But I remember the yellow one in particular who was the runt. Smaller, little, and she could not compete for food. We had to feed her specially because her brothers and sisters pushed her out of the way. Nature red in tooth and claw competing for food. It's always a me first way sort of with those little puppies like that. She couldn't compete for food. didn't grow like all the others. So when friends or neighbors or people who heard about these puppies came, we, we said, come by and get a puppy after they were you know, several weeks old. And so people would choose um, this one over here or that one or that one. They were all a combination of black or white except for the little yellow runt that nobody chose. So we said, we'll keep her. We'll keep her. And I can remember Um, making sure she had enough to eat, making sure she got fed. We gave her tons of TLC, gave her lots of special attention, and we kept that runt who was yellow, who ended up being the pet we named Sunshine because she was yellow, and she grew and grew and grew, grew out of being the runt, and grew, in fact, to be larger than her mother. And uh, this great family dog, the runt of the litter, I don't know if anybody else is the youngest sibling among many siblings like I am. I was sort of the runt of the litter in my house growing up because I was skinny as a rail and uh, had this great 1970s bowl cut with just straw hair kind of coming straight down, that white, yellow, blonde hair, maybe weighed, it seems like, about 50 pounds for the first 10 years of my life, 50 pounds at the most soaking wet, and uh, was the punching bag and the guinea pig for all of my siblings, you know, in fact, my oldest brother is coming in town tomorrow from Florida. I think I'm going to remind him of all of this, um, that I was the runt of the litter, which means you are the servant of all of your older siblings, whether you want to be or not, under fear of great pain if you are disobedient. Um, if you've ever had older brothers or sisters, maybe you know that that's sometimes how they operate, at least it was in my house. And I remember this very specifically as the youngest who was the runt and the servant of all the others. I'd have to go run errands for them, go get them something from the kitchen, go get food for them. But what I really remember is that I was the one who had to get up and change the channel. Now, I know we've got some younger folks here. I just want you to know back in the Pleistocene era, when the Neanderthals used to watch TV in their caves, um, you only had about five channels to choose from, and so you actually had to get up and walk to the television and turn a knob to change the channel from one channel to the other four that were available, maybe five at the most. That's right. 
And so there was no question in my house who was going to do that if all the kids were watching TV. Go change the channel. Put it on channel five. I was like, okay, because it was obviously going to be me because I was under, again, threat of pain, the one who would do all of that for those other siblings. Now, I really don't have any knowledge of the dynamics of the house in which David grew up. I don't know if he was the servant of all. It certainly seems like it because we can gain a lot of insight from this text and a few texts later as well about King David, who wasn't king at this point at all. And you can see a lot in this story. Um, We talked last week about this is the time in Israelite history when the people were asking for a king and demanding a king. And so first, Saul is made king, and he does a good job for a few years. He wins in battle. He's an effective commander. He uh, protects the Israelites. He leads them in battle and is successful. But he was also impetuous and impatient, and he was reckless. And so right in the chapter before this one, in chapter 16, at the end of 15, we hear Uh, God say this, I regret that I made Saul king. He has turned his back from following me, and he has not carried out my commands. So God sends Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. And it's amazing to see how many people uh, react in fear in this passage. But Samuel is afraid. if he He says, if I go and do that and Saul finds out, he'll kill me. It's treason to anoint a new king. And it's interesting when Samuel shows up at Bethlehem, the elders of the city go out to him and they are trembling and saying, do you come peaceably? In other words, do you come under threat? Are we about to be judged? Are we in trouble? And he says, no, I come peaceably. And he asks them to undergo this elaborate washing ritual. He said, sanctify them. It's a ritual by which they would be made clean ritually in order to worship a holy God. And he invites this man named Jesse and all of Jesse's family to join them. And those sons are also sanctified. And as they all come before Samuel, Samuel is sizing them up. And the firstborn, Eliab, comes. And Samuel says, oh, now I know why I have come here. Surely this is the one. This is the guy that God wants me to anoint as king. And this is where the story gets so good. Because God teaches Samuel. Samuel says, no, no, do not make judgments on who he is. I mean, inside who he is. Do not make a judgment on that based on what he looks like. And then God says this, this is key. The Lord does not see like people do. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord, I look at the heart. And so the next son comes, and the next son, and the next son, and the next son. Each time God says, do not judge him by what he looks like. Look at the heart. It's interesting. It's always interesting for me, fascinating to think about things that go on in the Bible and think about how many years ago they happened. 3,000 years separate us from David in this story. Think about all that distance in time. And of course, over the course of history, so many major things have happened. But you know what has not changed? Human nature. Human nature and our ability and our desire, sometimes even without knowing it, to make judgments about people in an instant, in just a flash, in just a moment. We are so quick to make judgments about people. In fact, 
It happens instantaneously. Malcolm Gladwell argues in a very fascinating book called Blank. He, he argues that this demonstrates something from an evolutionary view or a psychological view that we are actually wired. We are hardwired to make instant judgments about people from our own viewpoints, whether we are socioeconomically, politically, racially, culturally, even religiously, we make quick judgments about people and who we think we can trust based on how they appear, what they look like physically and what they wear. We are so quick to ignore real deep gospel wisdom. We know that we are supposed to, we were reminded of this so many years ago, that we should judge someone not by the color of their skin, or we might add hair or clothes or looks or what they wear. We judge people by the content of their character and what comes out of the heart and their behavior. But we are actually wired not to do that but to make quick assessments of people when we see them. That's why the gospel always makes us better than what we are wired to do. <laughs> Through this long history of humanity's development, the gospel makes us better than what we are wired to do or be. And Samuel asks Jesse, then he says, Is this all you've got? Is this all you've got? Don't you have any more sons? Jesse answers, I mean, he doesn't say this exactly, but he says, in effect, says, well, yes. There's the littlest one, the runt of the litter, but he is out taking care of sheep. Well, of course he is. Where else would the youngest, littlest one be? If his stronger, older brothers aren't going to take care of the sheep, they're not going to do that if they can make somebody else do that. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes in our day and age, we sort of have this romanticized view of what shepherding was like. We love the 23rd Psalm. We love thinking about this shepherd guiding us beside green pastures and to still waters. And we have this romanticized view of shepherding. But actually, back in that day, it was one of the worst jobs. It was the dirtiest, lowest paying job. You had to deal, think about it, with um, all this hard, gross work. You had to deal with all kinds of wounds and injuries and blood. And you had to deal with predators and feces and birth and death all the time. One of our favorite stories in the New Testament starts by saying, um, and in that region there were shepherds taking care of their flocks by night, living in the fields. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a field before, but if you live in a field and you're taking care of sheep at night, it's because you need that job desperately. It's not something that people want to do. Why is David out taking care of the sheep? Because he is the least important of all his brothers, even in his father's eyes. So Samuel says, go, go get him, bring him here, go get him. We'll not even sit down until he shows up. So David does enter immediately, which means he's still got the field all over him, which means he was not ritually pure like all the rest of them were. And God says, this is the one. This is the one. Anoint him because he is the one I have chosen. And David is anointed as king. God chose the runt of the litter. Now, do you see what's happening here? It happens here. It happens in so many other places in Scripture, Old Testament and New, that God chooses to overlook the powerful 
and the pretty and the perfect ones. So people think God chooses to work through the weak and the humble and the lowly. Think about how many humble people ever make headlines. You know of any humble people who ever make headlines? No, because we live in this continuing self-aggrandizing culture where you need to make yourself a quantity. You need to make yourself a known quantity and an entity on social media or using the media. And the way you make more money is to be more hyped up in so many ways. But the humble never make headlines. And yet God chooses to work through them to change the world. I hope you heard Paul pick up on this very similar theme in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this, From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. I think for a minute, what is a human point of view? We know what a human point of view is. A human point of view is looking at someone and judging him or her quickly by what our eyes see and making that instantaneous judgment based on their appearance. I've noticed this happening so much more, more and more in our culture, especially in the last several years, that you judge somebody not just by their physical appearance, but you judge them by what clothing they wear or by what bumper stickers they have on their car. You make an instantaneous judgment that they are either an ally or an enemy based on that very quick superficial criteria. It's happening more and more and more. And you can think about this, um, and this is just an example from our culture, but if someone walked in wearing a red Make America Great Again hat, it would cause an instant reaction among people. You would judge that person so quickly, and you don't know anything about their character. You're willing to proclaim him as an ally or an enemy immediately. In the same vein, if someone walked in wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, you would make an instant judgment about that person, either in sympathy or in disdain, perhaps, without knowing anything about that person's background or their circumstances. Do you think God looks at that same person in the same way that we do? No. Thank goodness, no. We all make judgments based on appearances. I learned this again as I keep learning this lesson. Last weekend with a group of high school friends that had gotten together, there was uh, another friend of ours that went to high school and college with him. He now lives out in Denver. He was in town um, seeing his folks for the first time in two years because of COVID. And so a bunch of high school friends got together and our, on our spouses and uh, another high school friend then rolled up his sleeve to show everybody his full arm, total arm covered sleeve tattoo. It was incredible. And it's actually being put in place. It's taking several weeks to put it in there. Now, I don't know if you know me. It's not going to surprise a whole lot of people in our church, I don't think, to say that I didn't go to high school with a lot of people who had full arm sleeve tattoos. You do see more and more tattoos, of course, coming around in our culture these day and age, but I haven't seen up close like that a full arm sleeve tattoo, and it was amazing. Sometimes I have been so quick to judge people with those massive body covering tattoos. I've been quick to judge people without knowing anything about their character or about their circumstances or anything about their life. What I do know with my good friend is, you know, your, your heart won't let you make an instant judgment about someone 
that you know about and that you care about. And my buddy is a great Christian. He's a husband, his father, uh, father, small business owner here in Germantown. And his tattoos symbolize the most important love of his life, his faith and his family. Paul writes this, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, this is the key for us. This ministry of reconciling love that has been placed in our hearts by God. This is the heart of our Christianity and faith, that God has placed this responsibility of reconciling people to God and reconciling people to one another. And if I am so quick to make instantaneous judgments about people by whatever my standards consider good or bad, then that ministry won't happen. It will limit me and it will limit all of us. But what we believe is that God is at work. God is at work and God chooses to work through people that we may not expect God to work through, but He does. God does choose people for moments to be amazing ambassadors of grace and ambassadors of love. I've always been amazed, for example, about how Rosa Parks could be so small at five feet, two inches, and yet be such a spiritual giant. I'm also amazed that God used a man who stuttered and dressed like a slob and drank too much at the pub to write some of the most profound Christian literature, C.S. Lewis. God used a lowly Catholic priest in the poorest parish of Los Angeles. There's just violence everywhere to work with all of those gang members to start Homeboy Industries, which now leads the nation in helping over 10,000 people a year get out of gangs into a rewarding and faithful life. Now think about our church. Look at all of the agencies that we partner with around the greater Memphis area, all these places where we do ministry and join alongside people as partners in mission. Look at all of those places and you will not see headline grabbers. You will see people doing the most extraordinary things, even though they may consider themselves ordinary They're doing the most amazing, spirit-inspired things. Those kinds of folks making a difference every day in somebody's life. They will be overlooked by the guardians of our culture. And yet every day God is using them to do amazing things. We learn and relearn and learn again to look at the heart and not the outward appearances. I am so grateful I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity in this church to engage with people like that in ministry, to engage with all of us together, to come together for times of worship, and to not look at each other and the physical outward appearances, but to engage in worship by looking at each other's hearts and our own faith. Because of God's reconciling grace, we no longer see anybody from a human point of view. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, as we come before you now, we thank you so much for choosing each one of us to be recipients of your grace, for giving that grace to us, and then for growing that grace in us. And we pray, Lord, that we would indeed watch David and see his story and know that you choose amazing people that the rest 
of our world would overlook that you choose him and you choose us to be your ambassadors of grace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us no longer look at anyone from a human point of view, but to see the new creation within each of them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This next song is called Trust and Obey. When it comes to obedience, one thing I kind of that came to my mind is the world works like this. They hear and then they learn and then they understand and then they obey. But how God actually calls us to live is to hear and then obey and then you may learn and understand. You know, so we kind of have to go against our natural tendencies to understand and learn and even agree before we obey with God. Um, but yeah, for those of us who know God, we actually know that he knows best. <laughs> and we find out that by obeying him, there's no other way. And that's what this next song talks about. So I invite you to stand and sing with us. Just to know 
to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Friends, we have the privilege to respond to God's grace and gratitude. We do that through an offering each week, and so there are offering plates here by the door as you walk out. You can give online. If you're worshiping with us online, you can go to our website, and you can see the giving tab and the resources there. We invite everybody to respond to God's love and grace by being generous to support the work of the church. Let us pray. Lord, as we come before you this evening to dedicate this offering to you, we do so with a dedication of our lives as well. Lord, we are thankful that you have made us a new creation. By your grace, we have been reborn, as Jesus told Nicodemus, reborn into a life of faith, a life of trust, a life of obedience. Lord, we pray that you would give us a will to trust and obey and to continue to step out in faith. Lord, we know that you have this great adventure laid out for us and that as we trust and obey you, you promise not to disappoint and you promise not to leave us. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would continue to walk with us and even to walk ahead of us and to guide us each and every step along the way of faith. Lord, hear us as we also lift up to, our, to you our world, this great, beautiful creation that you love more than anybody. Lord, inside creation, inside pockets of it, there are places of desperation and there are places of hopelessness. There are places of warfare and there are places of tragedy. And so we lift up all of those places to you tonight. We pray, O oh God, for your spirit to be so close at work in ways that we can't even see, but ways that are good and life-changing. Lord, we do lift up to your own congregation, those who are sick among us, those who are facing treatments, those who this week have very important decisions to make. We lift all of them up to you, knowing that you can heal and you can bring hope and that you can bring wisdom. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would be with all of us individually in our own faith to draw us closer to you, but be with us collectively as a church, that together we may bless you and demonstrate your love to the world. And so it is, Lord, individually now we come together with one voice and we say the prayer that Christ taught us to say, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing, He Shall Reign Forevermore. And as a worship leader, I'm constantly thinking about why. Like why? We're going to sing a song, and it's going to say that over and over and over. He shall reign forevermore. He shall... Why? I think we're all in consensus that that's true. forget so easily 
can hear a great message from Pastor Will about God looking at the heart. And then as soon as we leave, we start building up our outward appearance again. And we just need to make sure in our lives we remember this. friends, do not judge by outward appearances, but look as God does. Look at the heart and see the heart. And now go out to into this world. Go out to love those people that God made, all creatures, all creation. 
Go out to love, especially the Lord your God, and go out to love your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen. If I were a wise man, if I were a wise man, I would travel far. If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. For as I am, I will give to him my heart, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Forevermore, forevermore, he 